Good morning, everybody. How's it going today? Oh, man, you guys are looking good, looking good today. It's like you, you uh, cleaned up and wanted to be here today, right? It's pretty awesome. Man, I'm excited to be here. You know, we come to church on Sunday. We're not just here for an experience or for entertainment. We're not just here to take in information, but we're here for transformation. You know, the, what we're doing uh, up here uh, in, the, in the time of worship is not just, hey, put some music in front of the guy that's going to come talk. So we kind of have bumper music. That's not the point. The point is that when we worship God, he responds to our praise, responds to our worship. And there's something powerful and vulnerable about singing, isn't there? You notice that you can't do something sort of halfway when you sing. Singing is sort of like out there, right? How many of you know, if you're like walking in the neighborhood and you're singing, people take notice, right? Birds start, birds start walking with you and squirrels and things are happening and flowers start blooming on trees. But there's something about singing, it's kind of opening your soul, opening your heart to God, and there's power in it. And when we sing those words and proclaim the gospel, and we, we thank God for who he is and what he's done, he comes and he's, he's in this place. And you know, there's, I don't know if you know this, don't, don't tell anybody uh, else, but I'll just tell you a little secret. There are better preachers on YouTube than me. Thank you, but it's true. I know, I know, you, I know you're in shock. You know, you, you maybe don't believe me, but it's true. There are better preachers there, you know, Netflix puts out pretty good entertainment. Anybody notice that? For like 12 bucks a month, I mean, it's pretty hard to beat uh, all the entertainment value and the, the time that you can spend and enjoy the, the good programs and all of that. But, that's, but there's something different about coming to church on a Sunday. There's something different about being with the people of God and being with other people who are seeking God and worshiping Jesus, that God comes in this place and he's not here to just give you, you know, a little tidbit about life. You know, here's how you can seven life hacks, how to have a marginally better life and be slightly more, you know, morally better than other people. No, uh, God wants to impact you today, wants to connect with you so that when you leave this place, you're different than when you walked in. And so God wants to bring transformation in your life today. And I'm excited about that, that what we're doing here together as we meet with God, as we worship God is not just information, it's transformation. And God has a purpose and a plan. And I'm excited about that today. Well, we're jumping in and finishing up our series called Clean Slate. We've just been talking about the idea that with God, you get to have a clean slate, that your past, your mistakes, your failures, and even your past successes and the good things you've done, those things don't either A, earn you a place with God, and they also don't disqualify you a place with God. Your past does not erase your capacity to have a future with God. And God wants to give you a clean slate. We talked about the fact that God, at his fundamental nature and his character, is merciful. And a lot of people think about God as sort of an, uh, a judgmental accountant sitting in heaven. And every time we step out of line, he kind of goes, well, mildly disapproving, right? And makes a note to, to smite you a little bit, you know, sometime at your life, you know. We're going to go ahead and make their stocks, uh, their 401k go down because they looked at that lady on the side of the road. You know what I mean? And we sort of see God as kind of, sort of like a disapproving father, or we see him as like angry Zeus, you know, with, with the lightning bolt and and we're sort of living our lives under this impression that we're moving towards impending judgment. But the reality of God is that he says, my name is Yahweh, I am merciful and compassionate. God, his heart for you and for me is to forgive us and give us a clean slate and give us an opportunity to walk with him in relationship. And I think that we get this idea that God is forcing people, you know, well, at the end of all things, you probably even heard it preached before, at the end of all things, you know, God's gonna say, well, you're, you're, you're going into judgment and all this kind of stuff. But the reality is what we see in scriptures is that it's free will that every human decides, am I going to take the opportunity to walk with God 
Am I going to receive the grace and mercy of Jesus? Or am I going to decide, no, I want to be uh, my own payment, my own, my own insurance in life. And nobody will be separated from God who doesn't absolutely 100% want to be separated from him. Okay. And so this idea of God as sort of wanting to hold a bunch of people out and really being choosy and all this kind of thing is a wrong idea because God says, no, I'm merciful. Is there a problem with sin? Is there a problem with with us, what we've done in our lives and the things that we've said that are wrong and the people that we've hurt and all that. Yes. Is there a problem with sin? Absolutely. Does it separate us from God? Absolutely. But God has done everything that he can and probably more to, to empty the treasure of heaven and send Jesus to this planet to walk among us and give his life as a sacrifice. And so the beauty of the gospel is what we've been talking about, that God wants to give us a clean slate. But part of this understanding and part of getting this and laying the foundation is the fact that we need to understand first, before we really think about the clean slate, we got to realize God can only give you a clean slate if you understand and recognize that your slate needs to be cleaned in the first place. Amen. Come on, right? And how many of you are clean people? I mean, hopefully today, right? We took, <laughs> took my shower this month. Good. Uh, you're clean. But how many of you like love to be clean? Anybody like me? I just love to be clean. You know, some people enjoy camping and all those kind of things. And to me, you're just a walking anachronism. That was the 1800s. Why we've graduated past that. We don't need to camp anymore. You paid $200,000 for this beautiful air-conditioned box with internet and flushing toilets. Why do you want to go outside? So I'm not much of a nature person myself. To me, nature is the space between air-conditioned, internet-enabled spaces, you know, places. I just do this to tantalize you, you know, right? Just everybody's like mad at me. People that like to kill animals for fun and go out there and smear moose excrement on their faces and stuff, you know? This is a really good time. This is so fun. It's like 10 below zero and we're out here and my underwear are all itchy because I haven't taken a bath in nine days and having a blast. Anyways, um, <laughs> this message today is called, I'm a mess. Say, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. I we, we, I had an opportunity to take a uh, missions trip to Cambodia. Anybody ever been to Cambodia? Larry's been to Cambodia. He spent quite a bit of time there, right? <laughs> got a broken leg while he was there. Got to really enjoy the country. Yeah, we're glad you got you back, though, at some point. Uh, we had the opportunity to go to our wonderful missions church in Cambodia, and it's a beautiful country, incredible people, amazing, but it's, a, it's slightly less developed than here. I don't know if you're aware of this, but Cambodia is slightly different than the United States, in case you were wondering. And they have this modern city, Phnom Penh. And, but basically outside of Phnom Penh, you've got the Wild West. I mean, it's villages and, you know, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. I mean, it's pretty wild. And, and so we, were, we went on this missions trip. And I'm, again, very nature averse. I like comfort. I like hotels and Wi-Fi and all that. So I would venture out every once in a while and then, you know, get bitten by a mosquito, be deathly afraid of malaria, run back to the hotel. But on the last night we were there in Cambodia, Pastor Jesse McCall, the leader of the church there, he said, hey, I have a special treat for you guys. I've got a, a boat uh, rented. We're going to take a cruise on the Mekong River, which is cool, right? I mean, it was river cruise. All right. And we're going to have dinner on the boat, you know, eating. And I'm thinking, I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> Maybe I was thinking Pad Thai on the river. <laughs> I say, chappy, oh, chappy could go get used to this, couldn't he? I, you know, I don't know what I was thinking, but it wasn't exactly like that. We get on this boat. You know, there's mosquitoes everywhere and, and we're going through and it, it was cool. It was a cool experience, but it wasn't the pleasure cruise. I don't remember what they fed us, but it was maybe like peanut butter and jelly or something. I don't know. It was weird. I just remember it being odd. Do you remember what it was? No, I, okay. So we had some kind of strange food 
And uh, I'm sure it was like peanut butter and jelly and fish heads. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that we, we would do there. So we have this kind of strange food and we had left from this really nice concrete dock, you know, where you just saunter onto the boat and you're there. But when we came back and it's dark at this point to get back on the shore, you know, back on the dock, and we're going to fly out that night, get, get home, which I was excited about. <laughs> we show up and there's another boat there. And so we kind of do another circle, you know, another little loop in the river. And Pastor Jesse's talking to the captain of the boat and they're kind of going back and forth. And I, I can't, I don't speak the language. I don't even remotely speak the language, but I could see that there was a problem of some kind. And so they're negotiating and talking and he comes, Pastor Jesse kind of comes over and he says to us, hey guys, I'm so sorry, there's a problem. The captain of this boat didn't tell me, but he actually doesn't have access to this dock. So we basically got on the boat illegally and now we can't get off because he doesn't have access to this boat. They're not going to move the boats that are supposed to be there. And so we're going to have to find a place to disembark from this boat. So we kind of go up and down the river a little bit. He finds this nice looking grassy embankment, about 60 to 80 feet up, pretty steep. And it's pitch black dark. There's uh, the, the, the kind of hazy glow of street lights is coming over the hill just to set the stage for you. It's tall grass. And it has that lovely bouquet, the Cambodian scent, uh, which smells a lot like sewer because it's an open sewer everywhere. And those of you that have been there know what I mean, right? You're driving along and you're like, I need to brush my teeth again. I don't even, <laughs> that was so strong. And uh, anyways, that lovely scent was in the air. And so we end up pulling up alongside the shore and he gets about a 10 foot gang plank out. And I never thought I was gonna have to walk the plank and we did. And it, this thing was like really rickety. And so we kind of got all the my internship team, we had about 20 interns with us. And, and so I'm responsible for these young adults and have to go take, get them home to their parents, make sure they're alive and all that. So I'm kind of nervous, like who's going to fall in the river? And Bethany's there. And we, 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 end, we end up getting across this rickety kind of gangplank and we get onto the shore. So we're like, thank you, Jesus. We're on dry ground. It wasn't dry. In fact, it was a runoff uh, area for sewer. So we get going up this hill. One of our intern boys named Joey, he, uh, Joey decides he's going to lead the way, be brave. And so Joey goes up the, uh, Thomas, were you on this trip? Yeah, yeah, he was there. Thomas was one of the survivors of this. <laughs> yeah, and Melissa was too. All right, you guys, that's why you've really made it in the life of faith, right? Because if you persevered through this moment. So Joey goes up the hill and all of a sudden we're just going along and I see Joey silhouetted and then he's, Joey is no more. Joey is gone. He disappears from view, and we hear kind of like an, ooh, you know. We get to him, and he's fallen down into what could only be described as a river of excrement. <laughs> there is, this is theologically important. Don't worry. You're like, people are like, why are you telling this story in church? Trust me. Just trust me. He falls down into the river of excrement. He's cuts himself, so now we're worried about infection and all kinds of things. And we're trying to make our way up this hill. It's pitch black dark. It's tall grass. I'm trying to like get, you know, the girls help them get over uh, the, the, the river of excrement. And I had these awesome Jesus Birkenstocks that I bought in Cambodia. They were definitely real for sure. Definitely real authentic Birkenstocks. They go down into the muck. I think I lost one or at least it got filled up. The sandal was filled with unspeakable things and horrible stench. People are falling. I'm looking back and forth and I'm seeing my interns that I'm responsible for dropping like flies, just disappearing. <laughs> because you'd hit a patch, you think you're walking along and all of a sudden the hill just gives out and you just go down. So people are got their elbows and their arms and, 
and it's on people's faces and necks and their clothes and people are getting cuts and we're just like, oh no, right? It's one of these moments where you just go, this is a mess, right? So we get to the top of the hill and it took a while. And at this point, everybody's laughing because when you have to laugh to keep from crying. How many of you know there's moments in life you just go, man, this really stinks, literally. And so we are on top of the hill and uh, we look around and we had to fly out like in the next hour and a half, two hours. And we sort of made a judgment call in that moment. We can't get on an airplane like this. <laughs> on the best of days, getting on a 15 or 16 hour flight is just like not a great experience, right? How many of you people are like, I love people the first time they fly. You always see these people, they're like, you get to get on first. And you're like in there and your knees are up against the thing and people are bashing your thing and they're just like, this is great. Oh, when are they going to feed us? They're going to microwave something and hand you like a rehydrated piece of meat, mystery meat, and like you're not going to have a good experience. So stop being happy right now next to me, <laughs> Richard. You know, like people that... So flying is not a great experience just by itself, but then if you're covered in poop, it's really not even that great at all. So we make a decision in this moment we sort of look around and we're like, you know what? Maybe we're going to miss our flight, but we've got to get clean. We have got to do something. We cannot stay in this state that we are in. We are a mess. And so we got back to the hotel. We risked our entire trip back. I mean, we, we, we were thinking if we miss our flight, we miss our flight because we're not going to live in this condition anymore. We had to get people's wounds cleaned. We had to clean the, the poop off, you know, and the, all of that. Even the people in the tuk-tuks, the little, little taxi, the little scooters with a cab on the back thing, that they were like, you know, smelling us, and it was a bad situation. We get to the hotel. We, got, we, they, we begged our way back in because we'd already checked out. We were going to leave after this, this boat trip. They let us get into a couple rooms. We were showering and getting everybody cleaned up, and we, we made it to our flight. Thank the Lord to get back to um, air conditioning and all the wonderful things that the Lord has provided to us here. But, um, but in that moment, we made that judgment. We are a mess and we're not going to go forward until we deal with it. Now, I told you, hey, there's theological importance and, and there really is because in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes these, these words and it's, it's kind of a line in the sand for every human to decide where do I fall on this uh, agreeing or disagreeing with this. He says, for everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. You see, the gospel has really two components. The first one is that all have sinned and fall short. And you have to admit this and recognize I'm a mess. Like I've tried to do everything right in my life. I've tried to be a good husband or wife. I've tried to be a good father or mother. I've tried to be a good brother or sister, but I've failed. This word sinned right here, it's an archery term and it means to miss the mark. And what it means here when the apostle Paul says everyone has sinned is that we've all taken our best shot and it's fallen short. It's off the mark. In life, we've all done what we thought was right or we did our very best, but we, we are all aware that we have not hit the mark. We have not measured up to the perfect standard of who God is in purity and love. And I think this, this is, a, a, again, a line in the sand where we have to look at this and say, do I agree with this verse or do I disagree? Because see, our culture the, the, the culture around us that we get so affected and impacted by that we're all a part of and we're called to reach and actually make a difference in, make an impact in, but our culture doesn't believe this scripture. See, culture says everybody is basically okay and your environment and your circumstances have caused you to do things that maybe you shouldn't have 
but it was just a mistake. And the inner part of you, the core of you, your heart is good. And the scripture says, no, you've sinned and fallen short of God's standard. You, you aren't enough. You aren't good enough. You aren't like, okay. You aren't fine. You aren't like working it out and, and progressing and improving. Like the, the inner part of you is kind of a mess. The prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? He's saying, at the root of who we are, we're a mess. There's something wrong with us. And, and this, this means something, and I'll, and I'll explain why, but Jesus, it's, it's kind of a big deal that we acknowledge the fact that, hey, we're standing on a hill and we're covered in poop and we can't take another step until we get this dealt with. You see, if you're still thinking, if, if we were th- standing on that hill thinking, you know what, we could get like one of them shout wipes, um, we could get some like wet wipes, you know, maybe those uh, hand sanitizer, uh, we could kind of like, you know, cover up the stench or maybe do a little scrubbing or whatever. Do you think we're fooling anybody on the airplane? Do you think we're fooling anyone about what our real condition is? We're not. And yet in life, that's what we do with our sin is we're covered in muck. We're covered in our mistakes and failures, uh, the, even the hurts and pains of others and our retribution and all of the, the strife and struggle and sin and the, the mess. And, and what, what it's like is when we are a mess and we try to deal with it ourselves is we have muddy, dirty hands and we're trying to clean ourselves and we're just making it worse. I remember one time I was, I don't like to get food on my clothes. I think you know this about me. I just don't enjoy it. And if it comes from other people, I like it even less. And yet I have children, three children, seven, five, three. And so there's always food on me. And I don't eat, and I just look down and I'm like, where did that come from? Why is there mustard on my thigh? I don't know. <laughs> Are these mustard thigh pants? No, they're not supposed, that's not supposed to be there. But my daughter Penny, one time she was eating refried beans and I think she was about one and a half, two years old. And my daughter, Penny, she eats with zeal. She's passionate about refried beans and all foods. And she digs into these refried beans and she's, you know, eating and enjoying it. And it's all over everywhere in her hair. You know how kids eat it, wear it. It's all that kind of thing. And she, she comes and she gets on me, you know, and, and she, she beamed me. She got, got me. <laughs> <laughs> and she says, she says, oh, I'm sorry, daddy. Here, I clean it. And she reaches out with the hand that caused the problem to now solve the problem. And I said, no, thanks. You know what I mean? And that's what we do with God, isn't it? Oh, I've made a mess. Oh, here, God, let me, let me clean it up. Let me, let me get myself all cleaned up. And what do you think we do when we do that? We make ourselves, it's even worse because the hands that cause the mess and still have the mess on them uh, aren't gonna be the ones that are gonna solve the problem stupidity got us into this mess. Stupidity is going to get us out. No, we need to say, hey, I actually need help. I'm actually a sinner in need of a savior. And so this question is kind of a big deal. Now, last week I introduced a thought about the fact that we're really big about putting people in categories. You know, we like to put people in categories of here's your personality type and you're introvert, you're extrovert, you're, you're an INFJ or an INTJ or an ENFP or whatever. Uh, you're a sanguine, you're phlegmatic, you know, we have all these things, you're in, in Enneagram, I don't even know how to say that, it sounds like something that you give people who are constipated, but you know, that one, you know, what's your number, and only a few people got that joke, but anyways, you know, we, we put people in categories, but Jesus really only sees two categories, and I want to just read this passage, because this is really important for us to grasp how Jesus sees us, and how we need to see ourselves, and think through this issue of, of being a mess, and what we're going to do about it, right? It says in Luke 5, later as Jesus left town, he saw a tax collector 
named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. And he said, follow me and be my disciple. Now I wanna just pause and say, this is the same thing that Jesus is saying to you and to me today. Follow me and be my disciple. Oh, but God, I'm, I'm too much of a mess. I've gone too far. No, follow me and be my disciple. Well, God, I've gone far enough. I don't really need to take another step. No, follow me and be my disciple. Salvation is not an event. It's not a prayer that you prayed 25 years ago where you said, Jesus, come into my heart. Come live in my little heart, Jesus, please live in my heart. And I prayed this prayer and now I go and do my own thing. No, Jesus is inviting us to go on a journey to walk with him on a daily basis. 2,000 years ago, he was in Judea and Samaria and Israel, and they were literally walking around and he was bringing heaven to earth. Come on, healing people, restoring people, preaching the gospel, inviting people to know God and to be connected with God. And he's still doing the same thing today in Eugene and Springfield as he's walking around and he wants to bring heaven to earth to heal people, to restore people, and he wants you to go with him. And so I could preach a lot about this, but I'm, I'm gonna leave it right there. Follow me and be my disciple. And it, and, and it says, so Levi got up and he left everything and he followed him. And later Levi has a banquet in his home and Jesus is the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests, these are sinful people, people that have no business associating with one as pure as Jesus. They also were there eating with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples why do you eat and drink with such scum? Tell us how you really feel about us, guys. You know, Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. And so last week I introduced these categories, the two categories that Jesus sees when he looks at you or looks at me, what he sees are people, number one, who think they are righteous. This means somebody who thinks, hey, I'm basically a good person. Hey, I've done enough. I've gone far enough in church. I, I, I give my tithe. I, I, I help in the kids' class. Like I, I pray, you know, I, I read my Bible. I've checked the box on my Bible reading plan. Like I'm, I'm okay, I'm good. They, you, you think that if you think that you in your own sort of goodness and your own righteousness, if you think you're this way, you're sort of out of the range of Jesus' effective reach. Because what you're saying is I'm not a mess. I don't need to be cleaned up because I'm not dirty. I'm good. And Jesus says, category two are those who know they are sinners, those who know they are a mess, those who know they have a problem at the root of who they are and need to repent. The word repent just means to turn around. You're going one way. You need to turn around and go the other direction. That's what it means. To repent that you've been going the wrong direction and you need to go a different direction. That You know you have a problem. Jesus says, these are the categories. And this is everything because again, we, we have a really broken understanding of what God looks like and how God keeps score. Because see, we like to compare ourselves and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit higher than this person or I'm a little bit farther along than this person. And so that means I'm something like God sees me as something more. No, Jesus sees these categories. You think you're righteous and you stand in your own strength. You are your own insurance. You are your own righteousness or you know you're a sinner and you need to repent. And where do we see ourselves in this? So then I want to tell you this other story, and this is where the meat of the message really is. And I use the word meat, and now I can't stop thinking about lunch. Bill and Tim's, come on, isn't that good? Paul, I think we should hit that barbecue place up. I feel the Holy Spirit has spoken to me in this moment. <laughs> Prophetic guidance of where to go. Jesus says in Luke chapter 18, then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. 
How many of you know people like this on Twitter? On Facebook, right? Great confidence in their own righteousness, scorned everyone else. Do you want to know how to know like really clearly when you're probably a screwed up mess in how you think? Is when you think everyone else is a screwed up mess in how they think and you're the only one that knows what's up. I'm not crazy, you're crazy. I'm not crazy, you're crazy. I'm not crazy. You ever, do, do you know people like this? And maybe you're like, it's me. You know, don't admit that. Just <laughs> act like it's, yeah, I know people like this. I can't believe people. It's like the person who knows that their political views are what's right. And everyone else's are just absolutely garbage. The person who knows their moral views are absolutely right. Everyone else's are garbage. Can I, can I tell you the truth? All of our views are garbage. All of our righteousness is like filthy rags to God. We don't, we don't have exclusive uh, rights to understand what God thinks and about certain situations. In fact, what you see in scripture is something that it's marked by is surprise. That people who think that they've got it, they've, they really have got it, they get surprised when Jesus shows up and hangs out with the sinners. People that think they really have the corner on the market of truth and morals and politics and religion and everything, they get really surprised when Jesus shows up and he's like, well, yeah, I'm actually hanging out with these people because you don't need me. You see, what I, see how it is? And, and uh, uh, this is a, a really important thing. These people, he's telling them this story. They have great confidence in their own righteousness and they scorn everyone else. And this is the story Jesus tells them. He says, two men walked into a bar. No, I'm just kidding. Two men <laughs> went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee. This was someone who was separated. They were concerned with living pure and righteous. They wanted to please God. And the other was a despised tax collector. You might notice that tax collectors are always getting associated with like horrible sin. It's because... That's what they were in this time and age, and maybe today, just saying. Verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. And what this phrase, you have to hear it in context. What he's saying is, we hear the word sinner, and we immediately think about, like, people living a certain way and, you know, drinking and listening to rock and roll music or whatever, we, whatever comes to your mind when you think about sin, but the word sin just means to miss the mark. And so what the Pharisee is saying is, hey, I, I, I hit my shots. I don't, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have a problem. I'm, I'm accurate. I make my putts. I'm good. I see right. I, I live right. I, I, I get it, God. He's not saying he's perfect. He's saying I'm, I, I'm right on. I, I know the right way to go. And I'm basically lined up correctly. I thank you that I'm not a sinner like everyone else. And then he goes into his list of qualifications. He says, for I don't cheat. I don't sin. I don't root for the Huskies. That's not in there. <laughs> He says, I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm not, I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. And Jesus goes on, but the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. I tell you this sinner, and this is Jesus. Now he steps out of the story. And he's speaking to people, remember the context, and this is a really big deal, so lean in because this is important. And this is very deep theology that we need to connect with here because Jesus is going to do something very different and unique to the people that heard it then. And we don't want to just gloss over and not see this. He's speaking to a group of people who think that they have great confidence in their own righteousness and they're scorning everyone else. So they've like, we've got it. We're good. We know what's up with God. We're connected. We, we're okay. Jesus says, listen, there's two men, the Pharisee, he 
He prays this prayer. He says, I'm not a sinner. I hit my shots. The, the, the tax collector, who everybody knows is a sinner, he just admits it to God. He says, I am a sinner. And Jesus says this, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now we hear this phrase about humility. Hey, you know, those who humble themselves will be exalted. And we go, yeah, so it's good to be humble. Humility is a virtue. And that's true, but this is not a passage about humility as a virtue. This is a passage about humility as a posture of the heart that, that encompasses the totality of your life. You see, there are people that are very humble that are very far from God. Because humility as a virtue, just being humble in your demeanor, your walk uh, of life, you can be uh, not a Christ follower, you can be a very humble person. I've met people who don't follow Jesus that are not arrogant and proud. So this is not speaking about the virtue of humility. What Jesus is talking about is the posture of the heart, that if you will humble yourself before God and say, "What God, what I bring into this equation is zero. I don't contribute. I, I I am a mess. I cannot, I am incapable of cleaning myself up. And this is what the tax collector is saying. God, forgive me, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. Let me just tell you something. You are thinking more clearly when you see where you are off than when you only think you're right. My dad has a little phrase. He says, I never saw as clearly as when I was deceived. How many of you have experienced this? when you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is the right, this is the right course and then it ends up being a big mess because you really were following the wickedness of your own heart rather than truth or wisdom or whatever. And Jesus says, listen, this guy, the, the sinner is the one that returned home justified. This word justified, it, it, it means this, that it's just as if I'd never sinned. And it means this, that when God looks at you and he, and he goes through the accounting of your life, he sees you as righteous, he sees you as pure, he sees you as holy, he sees that your bill is paid in full, that you have a clean slate and that you're welcome to be a part of his kingdom and a part of his family. It's just as if I'd never sinned. And we think, well, well, it's when I do good things that I'm justified, that I get to be with God and be a part of his family and be in his kingdom when I do the right stuff. And it's the actually not true at all that coming to church and fasting and tithing and things that are good to do, but they should be done as a response, not as something that we're doing to earn or curry favor with God. And that God is very clear throughout the scriptures that he won't receive an offering of our righteousness because our righteousness is like filthy rags. We're standing at the top of Poop Hill in Cambodia. And it'd be like as if, as if we just go, well, hey, I'm just going to ignore what I am and I'll, I'll clean myself up. I'll put some perfume uh, on this and then I'll go stand in the presence of God. And God goes, no, that's repulsive to me. You have nothing that can remove that stench, that stain, but by the grace of God, he sent Jesus and his blood that was shed for us is effective to wash us white as snow. And that's the offer of the gospel. But what Jesus is trying to communicate to these people is that the closer that you really think that you are in yourself to get to God, the farther that you are away. Let me just tell you right now, this is kind of a dangerous, provocative statement, and I, it'll probably offend 20 to 30% of the people in this room but I think that you're probably better off living in honest sin than dishonest righteousness. And what I mean by this is there's a difference between real righteousness, which comes from the blood of Jesus, purely by grace and mercy and self-righteousness, which comes from the pit of hell and separates us from God. So you might be thinking, well, I vote Democrat, so I'm righteous, or I vote Republican, so I'm righteous. 
Did I hit everybody? Anybody else? You didn't say my party. I, I, you know, this is how I think. This is how I live. This is how I raise my kids. You spank your kids? Ooh, you're going to hell. Oh, you don't spank your kids? You're going to hell. How many of you know the judgiest people ever are people that judge your parenting and when you're in the grocery store? Everybody with kids under 10 knows kids get demon-possessed the minute you put them in a cart. There's, there's actually like special demons that literally just hang on the cart. And then when kids get put in the cart, they're like... So my kids are like sweet, you know, just... And then you put them in a cart and then... People are judging. You're judging. Don't be that lady, right? Don't be the lady in the store like... I know my kids are bad. Thank you for giving me that look. I appreciate it. <laughs> Working on it here. And that brings me to my next point. No, that was just a, that was a fun aside for your, your benefit. <laughs> Do we think that we, in our own righteousness, in our own goodness, in our own strength, that we really have it? Or are we humble before God and say, Lord, I, what I bring to the table is sin. God, what I bring to this transaction, into this, this business dealing with you, is a mess. And I'm going to have the humility to recognize that and receive from you everything that you have for me. See, I want to ask you this question. Do you think, I mean, in your heart, if you really search your heart and you really search your mind, do you think you're contributing to God? Are you contributing to your own salvation? Are you contributing to your own righteousness? Or are you a recipient of his mercy? And when you are righteous, it's because of his grace manifesting and working through your life and out of your life. So let me just say right now, the gospel is not that you're always going to wallow in your sin and never get better, never walk, walk in, in holiness, never walk in righteousness. In fact, there's a lot of really righteous people in this room that serve God with integrity and purity. Come on, that have been married to the same person for a, a long time and intend to, to go right to the grave with that person and not be going, you know, finding side hustles and all this kind of stuff. There are people that, that are in this room that have a heart to walk with God and speak truth and, and, and keep their word. And that's great, but listen, it's, that doesn't get you closer to God it's when you get closer to God that those things begin to manifest and come out of your life. And when I walk with Jesus, he makes me a better person. He confronts me about what's wrong with my life and his word uh, directs me and corrects me and, and chastises me and says, Jake, listen, that's not who you're made to be. Get on the right path. But it's, I don't do those things to earn his approval because I could never earn it. It was given to me by grace and I accept it and I live out of it. And so the Apostle Paul says in Titus 3, verse 3, and this is the, the clear gospel of understanding I'm a mess, but Jesus, but Jesus came in my life and wants to give me a clean slate. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Where does your confidence come that you're gonna live forever? Does it come from the fact that you prayed a prayer 25 years ago? Because that scares me. Thinking about that, man, when I was four years old and I invited Jesus to come live in my heart, man, I've done a lot of naughty things since then. Like, I'm talking about this week, you know what I mean? Is our confidence, 
in, in the good things that we've done, well, I've, you know, I used to be on drugs and now I'm just on, you know, just not as much, but I, and so I'm getting better and, and my progress, that's going to do something for me. I think deep down we recognize that we have missed it and we will never hit that mark. And so where does our confidence come from that we're going to live forever, that we will experience resurrection life and that the ultimate enemy, which is death, will be defeated by the power of God and that we, that we belong to God. Where does that sort of hope and that, that fulfillment, where does that come from? Where does that confidence come from? It does not come from our own righteousness. It comes from recognition. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Come on, it comes from a recognition of what Jesus has done on my behalf, and I rest in his goodness and his faithfulness, and I'm justified not because I have earned my way or found my way, but because Jesus has chosen me, selected me, and I've chosen him, and, he's, and I'm, in his, I'm in his arms, and I'm safe there. Come on. That's where our confidence comes from, in the goodness and the grace of Jesus. How many of you know the, the story of the Pilgrim's Progress? It was written by a man named John Bunyan. John Bunyan coined this little poem. He says, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. This whole thing that Jesus wants to give us is something that you could run as hard as you want to try to keep the law and keep the rules and be righteous and justify yourself and you will never get there. But you're not called to run, you're called to fly. And the only way you're gonna fly is when you let God give you wings. When you let the Holy Spirit come and empower you and fill you up to be who God's called you to be. But it comes as a response to the gospel, a response to grace, not as an effort and earning proposition to it. This morning, I pray that everybody here would get something out of this. And I think if you are a follower of Jesus already, you should get something out of this because we don't graduate from the gospel, right? We have to continue to remind ourselves because here's what happens. As we, are, as we belong to Jesus, we, we, we want to get pulled away from the center of the gospel. And here's how we get pulled. We get pulled into self-loathing and, and guilt and shame and, oh, I'm, I'm unworthy and I could never, you know, receive it. And we get pulled that direction or we get pulled to the other side of self-righteousness. Well, I'm good enough and I've done enough and all that. And what we need to stay is in that center place of I depend and stand on his grace exclusively every day of my life. So there's something here for everybody. But if you're here today and you're like, okay, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I just checking this thing out today. But listen, I, you're not here by accident. God brought you here by his Holy Spirit. And today I wanna invite you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. And listen, you don't have to understand every single thing or make a commitment to, you know, what do you mean I have to only listen to Christian music and I can you know, never watch HBO again or whatever. I'm gonna let Jesus and you figure all that stuff out. But here's what I want you to understand. God loves you so much. He's merciful. He wants to give you a clean slate. And if you want to walk with Jesus and follow him and in, in trust in him, that's the opportunity that you have today. So if that's you, would you just pray with me right now? And let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, I admit that I'm a mess. I have fallen short of your standard. But I thank you for your grace and mercy. Revealed to me at the cross where you gave your life for me, and made a way for me to be reconciled with God. I thank you that you did for me what I could never do on my own. I put my full faith and trust in you. I give you my life, and I receive you today in Jesus' name.
Amen.